is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London Blue podcast. Howdy, hey, London's Blue listeners! It's your editor Jake opening the pod. What is this? This is host Jake. What is this? No, it's uh, we're back with the Tinkerman. Uh, if you listened yesterday, which you should, if you haven't already, to Tinkerman episode number six, part one then you're already ready for this. It's part two. The guys are getting back into it right where they left off. Philosophy of the club, player profiles, all kinds of stuff coming at you, including some of your questions. Let's get into it. So what what would be the alternative in terms of like, how would it look? I guess what's your roadmap? Look, the NFT and crypto boys will love it. What's the roadmap? What's the next sort of three, <laughs> five years? And I'm let's just assume we have Tuchel because that's what we have to go on. And I think... Pep won't be at City in three, four years. I don't think he's he's already long in the tooth for how long he usually spends somewhere. Klopp, you you do feel like is coming to the end of a cycle. I think they've done very well in January um, to, uh, to bolster some attack, and you know nearly, nearly got Fabio Carvalho from Fulham as well. Um, they they've backed him, and I think they know that they're nearing the end of a cycle with that backing. And I, w- it's not going to be easy to just replace or phase out Salah and Mane so I feel like we are in year one while they're not done those two teams but they've they're probably past their apex so we have this opportunity with Tuchel to to make the next sort of three four years yeah very very blue and not even light blue royal blue um so what what is that roadmap what what can we look like and 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 let's be specific like let's call it what should it look like so I think first of all Recruitment models in general, um, I kind of cluster them into sort of five factors. You have money, you've got the usage of data, as you're pointing to earlier there in terms of analytics, uh, your number of decision makers, you've got uh, manager with input, and then possibly, and this is more of kind of uh, one in italics, uh, which is sort of agent relationships, which is can be something that's fairly punchy at Chelsea. So if you're looking at money, you've got Champions League teams, you've got guys who are stable in the top division, you've got pretty much everyone else. Data usage for me is you've got people that it's an integral part of the process. Somebody like Liverpool is a very good example of that. Um, you've got people who treat it as sort of a tool in the toolbox. And then you've got the kind of XG, Schmexg, you know, it, it absolutely has absolutely no bearing whatsoever. Somebody like Man United probably fits into that last category. Um, number of decision makers. So again, whether it is one person making all of the decisions, that could look like a Jorge Campos or it could be a Monchi, somebody who is almost you know a dictator when it comes to transfers. You, know, you might have a small group of people or a big group of people, for example, um, manager input. Some people have no input whatsoever. Some have some, some have lots. And then agent relationships. You've got people that are heavily dependent on agents. You've got people that are somewhat dependent, which is kind of Chelsea. Um, and you've got agents who have no bearing there. So when you're looking at that sort of framework of, of a very broad framework, let's say, of, of a recruitment model, um, Chelsea, obviously, we have the Champions League money. We're kind of top tier there. Um, you know, we kind of use data as a tool in the toolbox. I think, again, when we're looking at uh, profiling of players, when we're actually looking at um, translating their data, whether it is in a team in the Premier League or a team based in another league, that translation to how that works both um, in terms of the Premier League, but also the way that Chelsea play, the types of teams that Chelsea play, the type of football that is based in the Premier League. Um, we're using that, I think, more as a, a kind of a middle point rather than it being a focal point. Um, we have a, you know, for all intents and purposes and, and the athletic and whoever else have reported on this, a very small group of, of people making decisions. You have input, including, as you mentioned, guys like Scott McLaughlin as the head of international scouting. I would imagine Petr Cech, 
uh, and the directors, etc., also involved in that sort of group of, of decision makers. Um, Tuchel doesn't seem overly fussed publicly with with transfers. I would imagine that he is probably on the some managerial input when it comes to um, you know having the ability to to, to really set a, a particular transfer target, and maybe that one will be judged on depending, let's say, depending on how how heavily Chelsea try to pursue someone like Usman Dembele. Uh, in the summer, obviously a guy Tuchel we reportedly really likes has worked with previously. Um, how how Chelsea pursue that would give probably give an indication of how much sway Tuchel really has. Um, and as I said, we are somewhat dependent on on you know agent uh, relationships. These haven't always benefited us. Go back to the Pato loan, Falcao loan. You know some of these peculiar uh, purchases we've made historically with a view that we may get a chance at a better player in the future that hasn't necessarily panned out. So when you're kind of looking at Chelsea strategy, it's not necessarily one that is entirely fun, uh, sort of you know based on on analytics and data, um, the group of decision makers, the people making those decisions. And again, if we're looking at the hundred million spent on Lukaku, let's let's include uh, Havertz, let's include Werner, let's include Pulisic, let's include um, Ziyech here. It's roughly about three hundred million pounds spend uh, just on transfer fees, without looking into wages and all that sort of stuff. Over the past you know number of years, when that group of decision makers has mostly been present, maybe minus check out of that equation. Um, Managerial input, as I say, that for me has always been the biggest issue at Chelsea. You've got so many different managerial voices, managerial preferences, um, and then the, the, the relationship stuff. Again, I, I don't. I would like us to be less dependent on having some of those relationships to get deals done. They may benefit us in the summer if you want Jules Kunde um, and Aurelien Schuermeni. We have apparently got very good relationships with their agency. They have five players on their books. Two of them are Kunde and Schuermeni. So that seems to be something that hopefully works in our favour, but traditionally maybe hasn't. So when we're looking at that structure and what, what a model probably should look like, I think first and foremost, I'm looking at that uh, that group of decision makers. And this is something you mentioned earlier, Yaz, and I think, it, again, it's it's worth repeating because I think it, it's worth drawing out at this point. Um, whether Chelsea have the expertise when it comes to uh, the recruitment side of football, when it comes to the kinds of players that, that have success in the Premier League, that have the ability to translate their form from whether it's you know, another club in England or a club abroad, for example. The proof is in the pudding for this when it comes to me. And, and you can say, yes, you know, Chelsea have bought players who were talented at the time of buying them and they haven't replicated that at Chelsea. But again, I really liked your point earlier. You and I are both fans. Okay, you know, we, we may have a, a slightly different you know, level of, of engagement and interest and, and knowledge when it comes to, to football than the average Joe, um, particularly with your coaching background and obviously the, the scouting work that I do, but we're still you know, essentially fans of, of the club here. Um, if we have reservations about players that are coming in from a technical perspective, from a, uh, let's you know, Timo Werner, I'm not going to brag on him too much here, but you know a guy who maybe lacked the, the technical quality to play in a Chelsea system that sees us play, you know, maybe 75, 80, 85% of our games against teams who will quite happily put four or five across the width for their penalty area, will quite happily put four in front. You know, the way that he scored his goals in Germany, running into massive amounts of space, um, you know, not necessarily having to rely on, on a touch or having to rely on an ability to dribble, didn't necessarily have to beat players, didn't have to really create space to get chances. There was one yesterday, you know, to the Plymouth game where, I mean, he shifted it so slowly and just shot straight into a, a League One defender's legs. And that that is a repeatable thing with, with Timo Werner. So, when you're looking at, at maybe if you and I have reservations about players and reservations about how they fit, you're, you're curious as to why we keep making the, the same mistakes. And you can't really look at the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 players we've recruited 
and say, you know, 75% of them have been a success, maybe even 50, maybe even 25% of them have been a huge success. So I think there is a gap there when you're looking at the immediate improvements that Chelsea could make. It is for me bringing in somebody who is either a much better evaluator of talent, certainly when it comes to Premier League success, or he's a lot more vocal in these uh, discussions and meetings. I think that's certainly, you know, if, you, if you're knowledgeable and if you are passionate about scouting and recruitment and evaluation of players, you should be pushing back on, on some of these decisions. If we are making decisions based on commercial reasons or because we have good relationships with agents or, you know, it's a good deal at the time, um, you know, to your point earlier, being laboured with a, uh, you know, I think Werner is on reportedly is on about £270,000 a week. Being laboured with him for another three seasons, that investment, that money could go to a, a top player. It could be, you know, uh, part of a, an Antonio Rudiger Renault. It could be new contracts to young players. It could be money that we're bundling up to go out and buy a, a more talented player. When you compound that, you've got Pulisic, you've got Werner, you've got uh, Lukaku, you've got Havertz, who's not quite doing it. Ziyech, who's playing well at the moment, but I think on balance maybe hasn't been as successful as people would have wanted. Hey, hey you be careful I'll, about my Ziyech. I'll, I'll be careful about Ziyech. <laughs> just, oh, let's, nah, let's say on balance, but, yeah. But the thing, I'll, I'll be honest, like I'm uh, as a fan of Ziyech, right, let's look at the Plymouth game yesterday. Now, Ziyech did a lot of good and he did a lot of frustrating things. Um, and this is League One opposition, but um, we were very reliant on ZH creating stuff individually down the right-hand side. And he missed a few where he could have played Aspie down the line and, and, you know, a few block shots that, you know, typical of a ZH performance. But like the part, part of my whole pro ZH thing is not that he's perfect and not that he's um, the answer to a top team's, you know, woes, but it's the fact that we're so lacking in individuals to create anything else that we're actually yeah. quite reliant on what ZH can do what Mason does every week and what on occasion Callum can do, do when he really is aggressive and, and beating players. And of those, they're the three that I think bring the most to our attack right now. And Callum was free. Mason was free. ZH was the cheapest of all of the attackers outside of those two guys in terms of he was about half the price of Pulisic, um, about two thirds of the price of uh, Werner and over two, over, under half the price of... Um, Havertz and, and Lukaku. So I think the, the we talked on it in the last episode, we don't need to labour the point about how far off we are in terms of our attacking options. But yeah, I mean, the the that's why I found the the summer, this 12-month period where we went Pulisic, Ziyech, Werner and Havertz so bizarre. It just didn't really seem any plan. Look, we're, we're, we're nearing the end. So I want to wrap um, the kind of what this model would look like going forward into one kind of into one thing now and, and make it really measurable before we get into the tinker yeah. slash transfer man 10 um profiles like all of this sort of centers around picking the right profile of player and again it's something we talked about in the last episode where you talk about we i, I mentioned system players and for me system players are just massively flawed players who you better hope that you don't if they're if they're a system player based on running in behind. You better hope that Werner doesn't come up against Carl Walker, who's every bit as good at running in behind the other way. Um, so, what is the profile of player we should be looking at? And we touched on the sort of the forwards, the wide players, in terms of just um, I think physically robust to a point, but mainly being able to pick locks and 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 play in tight spaces and create and and do a bit of magic. So let's look at something else. Let's look at I think uh, midfield. I know that's one of your one of your favorite ones and centre forward. So the Lukaku experiment <laughs> is looking like it's a problem. Um, and let's just and let's talk about 
the midfield profile and the centre forward profile. Why has Lukaku not worked? Should we have stuck with the Havertz thing? Is something in between probably better? And then midfield, how do you kind of want to see things moving forward with those two in particular? Yeah, the the, the forward is an interesting one because yeah, I think you're right there. You know, not to to labour the point there, but Chelsea massively, massively miss a player who has. Uh, like a really, really decent 1v1 skill set and, you know, the ability to dribble and beat players. You know, one of the the problems that we have playing teams who have low blocks when you have a, a team full of passers or guys who want to, like, receive in behind or are better at running off the shoulder, you don't necessarily have that dribbling quality to commit players, to draw players out of position. And while it's very unlikely that you're going to find a player of, you know, Eden Hazard's quality at Chelsea, uh, you know, in in the summer, trying to find somebody uh, like a Rafinha at Leeds, or maybe even going for like a really, really massive punt. If Newcastle get relegated, relegated seeing what you can get someone like Sam Maxim, Sam Maximum for, you know, even if that is a a real kind of long shot in terms of that sort of skill set. But what we're looking for, I think, as you say there, in terms of that wide forward, that that number ten is somebody who can receive and, and maintain possession. Um, I think you know we touched on it a few times. One of our biggest flaws in the attacking third is that our forwards are so easily dispossessed. It feels, um, you know, you spend all that time building the play up and, and being uh, progressive and and kind of nice and deliberate in terms of how we get the play there. But you know, knocking the ball into Pulisic or, or Werner's feet and then them losing possession, you know, half a second later, you've kind of wasted, you know, two minutes of, of really good possession to then then have to defend a, a potential counterattack. So I think, so yeah, from, from that perspective, it's a 1v1 skill set, but more looking kind of on the, the centre forward here. And, you know, I was having a think, you know, through, I suppose, planning for this episode, yeah, and, and it's, it's a tricky one because the profile of forward that I think would work really well on this Chelsea side is probably too old or retired now. And I'm looking at somebody like a Luis Suarez, um, like a Sergio Aguero, somebody who uh, isn't, you know, isn't a, a focal point or reference point in the traditional sense, but can still, you know, can still play back to goal, can can link play, can be um, a reference point in a slightly different manner. But this team seems to need somebody that has that individual ability to create chances, go go left, go right, for example, um, you know, generate their own shots. Somebody who I think also is, is you know, somebody who can actually create fibers in a, a slightly more sustainable manner. Um, and when you're looking at, as you say, looking at the, the Lukaku profile and, and the signing there, now, this is a guy who, you know, again, generalizing slightly here, has had a lot of success playing in counterattacking systems, playing on the break, playing into space, you know, had being able to to run onto the ball and being able to finish. Um, you know, the, the amount of times that we we see that in a in a, a Chelsea opponent over the course of a season, you can probably count on on one hand the number of teams that we play who will give us that opportunity to counterattack. So you're looking more for somebody who has, I think, uh, sort of a, a skill set of a number nine, number ten hybrid, not necessarily a, a false nine per se, as the sort of the vernacular is, but an, an actual centre forward who has that that linking skill set, who has the ability to dribble, who can create their own shots, who is is quick and is intelligent, can link play, you know, can um, give and go and, and play, you know, quickly in the final third because, you know, having Lukaku post up on a back, you know, on, on a back five when we're playing the ball incredibly slowly from left to right, it's not going to generate shots. It's not going to generate chances. And, you know, as much as, you know, his size, I think, lends itself to Chelsea trying to find him early, you know, he's not really ever been that player that is, you know, has that Drogba skill set of being able to play back to goal, you know, linking with Lampard, linking with whoever. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, of trying to find options, one that came to mind, and again, you know, Yasmin knows somebody that I've uh, I've liked from when he was at Celtic, 
I think Odson Edward is, is an interesting player and not necessarily I think he's got the most amazing goals or that he's you know done absolutely incredible bits at, at uh, you know Palace since it's moving to the Premier League but you know a physical player has a nice touch can link play has the ability to kind of drift into to channels and is mobile and that sort of thing there maybe somebody in-house but uh, the only other player I could really think of and again watching a lot of French football uh, Amin Guri at, at Nice um, kind of has that sort of hybrid skill set that I'm after um, the problem being again to the sort of point earlier is the translation you never quite know certainly with with somebody who maybe doesn't have uh, an awful lot of, of data or an awful lot of seasons um, playing at the sort of standard he is this season behind him to show that this is you know this is the kind of player that he is rather than maybe just having a, a purple patch or playing in a particularly good season but he is is interesting because of his I think certainly his ability to dribble and create shots for himself um, but also how he is able to to bring the rest of the team into the game while not necessarily being that sort of six foot four, you know, sort of tank that we're used to seeing Chelsea play and how successful. So maybe a departure from my kind of traditional Drogba-esque, Diego Costa-esque profile of centre forward. But it feels like with Tuchel's coaching and system that having a player who is a lot more comfortable as a, a technician, somebody who it might, you know, do you know, the crazy thing is now I'm talking, it probably is Nicholas Anelka would probably be the perfect player uh, that Chelsea have had to actually play at the front of this, this team. Uh, you know, amazing ability, amazing pace, incredible technical qualities, fantastic link player, could come short, could go, could run in behind, could run the channels, um, just generally combined with anyone he was playing with to an incredibly high level. Um, so if you can find me a 23-year-old, you know, Anelka in, in France somewhere, then that's probably the guy to, to look at. But yeah, it's it's an interesting one because, I, you know, the more that I see Lukaku play, and this isn't to, again, jump on him. I've seen a lot of real overt negativity towards him recently, but it's just a, a stylistic mismatch, I think. We, you cannot play deliberate, measured, and, and not passive football, but, you know, sometimes where we can slow the game down where we want to control it to the point that making him completely and utterly ineffective because, as you say, he's just standing on the edge of the penalty area being marked by two people. So he's a little bit, on, like, incongruous, I think, to how Chelsea want to play. Maybe you need a more dynam dynamic element there. Somebody who, as you say as well, can press, can, can counter-press, has some defensive quality as well. So yeah. um, trying to find that player is tricky because you're asking for an awful lot there, but... That is sort of the the level of player that you're hoping to try and find. Signing a player like that might, you know, be crazy. Like cost a hundred million pounds. Anyway, um, <laughs> right. So let's let's go transfer man ten. That's what the, the the variant of our usual. Um, because our, a few of these are are similar along the lines of similarity in terms of targeting players. And I'm asking you to choose between a few because um, similar names get brought up and stuff like that. Um, but also it touches on profiles a little bit. And then I guess the other side of recruitment is some people seem to think we should just spend, and, and I think you've said on record as saying this as well, and it's not something I disagree with entirely, but spend well and promote. And if they're not world-class, don't spend which is kind of the Galacticos model. And that didn't really end up with any great dynasty either. I know, I know it isn't that extreme with what you mean, but it should be, they need to be better than what we are promoting. Um, yeah, 100%. And, yeah. and, and, and on current form, the of the best players in our squad, to the two of the... The two that I think will be in everybody's five are homegrown players. And that's a little bit of an indictment. Um even Julius Kunde, I mean, it's not like we've missed him with the emergence of Trevor. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think true. it's yep. um, very similar players for me as well in terms of that right-sided sort of half 
centre back, half full back, you know. But um, yeah, so I, I think that is a problem. I think I don't know if it's an ego thing where they need they feel the need to make a splash or but yeah. But anyway, let's go transfer man ten. Number one, number one. Rank your preference for Basuma, Chiumeni, or Declan Rice. <laughs> because I know, I've had to what people don't know is me and Joe talk outside of recorded conversations and the amount of times I have to see propaganda about all the all three of these young men <laughs> in my WhatsApp um, and unlike Anthony Barry who left on good terms Declan Rice did not leave the Ireland international set up on good terms <laughs> so uh, so he does that one to get at me but yeah out of those three maybe not even rank who would be best in this Chelsea team for those three do you think that's, uh, yeah, it's actually a really good question. Um, so, of I think the the twenty nine Premier League winners, let's say, I, I think two. I, I'm talking very broadly in terms of playing styles. I think Rodri first season, probably Michael Carrick, as sort of holding players who didn't always maybe have a destroyer or somebody sort of physical that kind of player next to them, are the only two that spring to mind of uh, of, of players that have played you know as a holding player nominally as as the main holding player. Um, that have won league titles. So for the other, you know, 27 or whatever it's going to be in terms of teams that have won it, going back to the days of Tim Sherwood, Roy Keane, you know, all these sorts of players from the early 90s and, and early 2000s, Chelsea with Makaleli, Essien, uh, Matic, Sean Obi Mikel, you know, the, the the players that we've had that have played that holding role in a physical kind of way in a sort of almost like an anchor man at times as well. Um, so I, I do think that people kind of underrate having just what a very good defensive midfielder can do to a team. And I think I always forget the guy's name, but he's on Guardiola's coaching staff at the moment. Um, I think his name is Juan Mar Lillo. I might have completely got that wrong. Um, but he has a, a wonderful quotation I always fall back on. And it's, you know, show me who your holding midfielder is and I'll tell you what kind of team that you have. Um, and this is a guy that obviously is on the coaching staff of Pep, but also one of his noted sort of influences and people that he looks up to as a as a mentor. Um, so when you're looking at, at what big impact would be, you know, I think there are limitations to Declan Rice's game. And particularly when we're talking about that translation, that word is important. How a player whose skill set is big defensive numbers, big aggression, you know, great at sort of tackling one on one, defending, etc., but on, on ball actions, we're looking at driving into space. We're looking at that sort of um, Roy of the Rovers kind of, you know, box to box sort of driving stuff. And then that part of his game, that that would be the big concern in terms of him moving to Chelsea because that that sort of space and that sort of, um, those sort of opportunities that lend to him being able to drive and, and to then well, distribute. It's, it's, it's Lukaku again, isn't it? In, it's in again, a way, it's exactly the same way. problem. Yeah, it's exactly the same problem, but it's just a slightly different perspective in terms of the midfield aspect there. So... While I think signing him and having him play as a pure holding player, I, I think he would improve us massively. And I'm talking about playing him alongside a Jorginho, a Cover, or a Kante, having that as your two. I think his his defensive quality is that strong that he makes sense. Um, I think if you're going for the most player with the biggest amount of upside, but obviously risk in terms of the adaptation, it's probably Aurelien Schermeni. And he's just coming off the back of an incredible game against Lyon. I was watching him play last night man of the match performance and he continues to go from strength to strength he's more of a passer when it comes to ball progression than rice both in terms of metrics but also in terms of watching him so while he can he has quite kante-esque numbers in terms of the defensive stuff that he does per 90 interceptions tackles clearances like he's and he's got aggression he's got physicality he's got size but he's a lot more of a a progressive passer, I think, in terms of, of of also him like punching it through through the lines and playing into to good areas I think that 
that skill set probably intrigues me more. And if it, if it has to be one of them, um, I'm probably going for Shiromani just because I think that as much as, as you know, I think Rice would improve the team from a defensive standpoint, his, his you know, he's going to be on the ball a lot. And, and I don't think he's as bad a passer as some people you know, make out. And I don't think he's, you know, he's not as, as, as sort of sideways and, and simple as people make out as well. But Shiromani used to be more of a deep line playmaker at Bordeaux. He does bits and pieces for Monaco, but more of that kind of, I suppose, DM. He's, he's, he can play as a six. He's playing as a lone DM a lot this season, playing a pivot. I just think that passing quality um, gives him that a tiny little bit more uh, in his locker that I think would be interesting. And, and if he does adapt and he does make that transition over, um, I think he is somebody that you can pair with if you wanted a, a real passer, a real controller, a Georgie, a Gilmore, or whoever it's going to be in there. Um, but you could also pair him with a, a more uh, aggressive, uh, more aggressive guy like Cover or, or even Kante. And I think you're going to get an incredibly uh, massive bump in terms of mid performance. So I'd probably go sure many than Rice. That might be a 1A and 1B. Kind of depends a little bit on if we want to play with your favourite term. You know, two attacking eights or just, you know, two central midfielders, two normal people uh, <laughs> with, with, a, with a holding player next season. Um, and I do, I really, really like Basuma. Um, I'm just a little bit concerned, particularly, I mean, I w- watch him and I think he's impressive. But again, um, I think he's a little bit more limited than Kante on the ball. And, and given Kante isn't necessarily blessed with vision in the final third or creativity, yes, he can do some amazing things, score some amazing goals, does some like really, really cool things at times, but it's not really sort of his game. I think Basuma yeah. is that kind of replacement for a Kante. If you wanted that, just all action sort of lunatic in midfield, he's going to win the ball and, and can dribble and can pass a bit. Um, but I think Shumeni is a bit more complete than, than the other two for the time being. Cool. All right. You hear my voice. You know what it means. It's your editor, Jake. Ad break, incoming, and then back to it with the Tinkerman. Two, and this is so people can go away and research this and see what they think. Two non Jules Kunde targets for the centre back hole that we may be facing in the summer with Christensen, uh, Rudiger, and Aspilicueta's contracts up. Now, obviously, that, that there is Colwell and there is Saar, but two targets that don't end in Kunde. Uh, okay, so I'll go. I'm going to go non Chelsea because it's interesting. I, I do think Levi Colwell is on the cusp of being ready. Yeah, and, I agree. I agree, and and yeah. I think I would. I have a funny feeling that they might just Reese James it and just say one yeah. loan is enough. Um, but but let's let's they yeah. they clearly are targeting one as well. Um, like, you know, and I think the Kunde links are still there and yeah. And and if we lose three who can play there then then and then Thiago Silva obviously is only there for another year. So so yeah, let's let's um have two targets that aren't Kunde. So I I think had he not had the ACL injury, I think Wesley Fofana is probably someone that really interests me depending on how he comes back and how he looks might be somebody and obviously with Chelsea's football manager filters that they apply on transfers he has had an ACL therefore will be on our transfer list which seems to be one of the things <laughs> we look for um for that, would be, maybe, that would be really be following in the footsteps of Rudiger that way as well exactly yeah um there's two that come to mind I think one of them is more of a that kind of right back sort of right center back hybrid if we're going sort of full back three commitment I realise it's a little bit ironic that I've said I wouldn't necessarily buy players that fit a particular system. Um, but Nordi Mukiele, or I can't pronounce his surname properly, he plays for uh, RB Leipzig. French guy. Um, interesting, interesting guy. You know, kind of reminds me a bit of Rhys James. He's a bit taller than Rhys James, but very similar in terms of profile. Uh, I think he's about six foot two. Played a lot of outside centre-back or wide centre-back. Played a lot of right-back. Played a lot of, lot of right-wing-back. Probably 
is a very comparable player to Kunde in terms of skill set. I think maybe a little bit more physical given the height. And I think he's got a little bit more force when he sort of enters tackles and stuff like that. Quite like him a lot. I watch him a fair bit in terms of in terms of German football. I would caveat that with at the moment, I'm having a massive rethink of, of the Bundesliga in general in terms of how those players translate. Um, it seems to be, particularly with Chelsea, that we don't always get the... Uh, the, the best representation of players. And again, even somebody like Jaden Sancho very recently, yes, he scored the other day, but I think in general for the, the amount that was paid for him and what was sort of being said about him as a player, you know, he looks a shadow of that. Well, I mean, the the only argue, argument I would say in counter is, because I'm with you, but the only counter argument I would say is if it's a league that is, because I think they play a certain way. I think they're indebted, the coaches, to making the German game yeah. expansive and stuff. So it might be the best place to get a defender because i mean if someone can defend 50 yards from their own goal um and have to have to recover countless balls in behind and be technical because it's a, a league that really does enjoy playing out as well then maybe maybe it's not the league for forwards but is for the opposite i don't know but this kind of links into my next question so i'm going to do it straight away rank these leagues in terms of transferability to the premier league so the players okay. that play within them, and if you were uh, put in charge of a, a, a model like we've discussed, mm. what would be, how would you uh, tier these leagues in terms of how much uh, scouting investment you'd put into them? And it's just the other four of the big five. So it's Liga and La Liga, Serie A and the Bundesliga. So I'd go Liga and first, just a primarily because that's the league that I watch the most. But I just think from a from a physical and tempo standpoint, it's closest to the Premier League. Um, yes, obviously you're always going to get players that don't necessarily adapt, but I think Fafana stepped up fine, Basimo looks fine, um, Diallo, who's now playing for Southampton and starting to get more games, looks a good player. We've obviously bought well from, from Liga in the past as well. Um, interestingly, I would probably go with, with La Liga next. Um, I, I think it's weird that they seem to produce both midfielders, certainly once they adapt to the Premier League, like a Rodri, thinking even back to like Xabi Alonso, that adaptation to, to England. If they can get that, then they seem to be very successful. Um, also produce a lot of very good centre-backs, I think as well, which can play in the Premier League. Um, obviously the technical quality, all that sort of stuff we know, but that sort of trend of, of Spanish-based uh, players coming to the, the Premier League. And then, you know, if they can get that adaptation, if they can click... Um, they, they tend to do quite well. So I'd probably go La Liga next. Um, I'll go Bundesliga third. And that's not necessarily a reflection of the Chelsea Bundesliga talent. But, um, you know, Gundogan has has done well at City. Um, I think, uh, obviously, Kevin De Bruyne maybe isn't necessarily like a full Bundesliga product. But, you know, was bought from, from, from Germany. Um, trying to think of others that have come from there. Yeah, and, and then sorry, I I don't really know. I mean, I watch, you know, the I, I watch Serie fairly regularly in terms of if it's on, I'll kind of watch it and stuff. Um, I just I don't see players that have come from there or, or or the style of play over there now is is such a such a drastically different tempo. Yeah. Not that it represents. Uh, listen, a different Serie A is my second favorite league, but it's yeah. not transferable. <laughs> it's, it's they not, don't it's press. They yeah. sit off. They there's hardly the transitions are minimal. There's a lot Bakayoko of older players. Absolutely phenomenal out there. I yeah, watched it's, him. It's a lot slower. Well, but yeah. Olivier Giroud just put into to the sword last night with yeah. two amazingly yeah. taken goals. So. Yeah. But yeah, and that is my second favorite league to watch, probably because it is so different. Um, right, and then another little ranking one, and then we're gonna kind of dovetail into some more more uh, different questions. Uh, 
I would like I'd like your your rank of the loan prospects currently, and I might have left some out, but I think someone like Dujon Sterling, like, let's just let him get over his injury. So Armando Broja, Conor Gallagher, Levi Colwell, the the main Premier League three, yep. I guess. Oh, and and Levi, Ian Matson, Tino Andrin, who now looks like he's very much back without Ranić being at Lokomotiv Moscow, um, Billy Gilmore, Ethan Ampadu, and Henry Lawrence. Who's is this, doing is this in relation to good things at, at Wimbledon? He is actually, yeah. Um, is this in relation to if they come back to Chelsea, or is this just sort of? I think this is just. I think it's just. Yeah, I think it's just who you who you see as as the best the yeah. best prospects, really. I I think uh, the best prospect is probably Colwell um, to to do what he's doing in a, a Huddersfield team that for many I think beginning of the season were tipped to be in a relegation fight I think they're fifth or sixth they're doing pretty well as in like you know properly within the promotion uh, promotion kind of race at least a playoff sort of race there um I mean you know I, I don't always like going stats with him without a certain player but you know the stats with him in terms of goals conceded points on etc versus without him I can't remember what they are precisely but they're, they're noticeable enough for it to be at least an interesting point there um and one of the reporters who I follow on socials, a chap called Steve, is a, a massive Huddersfield fan, but he's also a reporter there. Um, has already told me, you know, privately, certainly, and again, this is not something that's going to be massively uh, controversial, me sharing it, but you know, he's already said that in terms of the loadings they've had, and that's uh, killing Trevor and even guys like Emil Smith-Rowe, he's by far the best player that they've actually seen come on loan. Um, 18, I think he is... When I looked at the data, he was the seventh youngest player overall in the championship, the youngest centre-back to be playing as regularly as he has done for about 10, 15 years. Um, everything that he is doing at this point in his career is not really stuff that gets done too regularly or done too often. You know, he's a 6'2 yeah. to 6'4 centre-back. He's got so much technique. And the only thing that they said against him was sometimes if he takes a like an aggressive touch and then play a ball and, and maybe it's a bit too aggressive, like he will literally follow it up by trying to sort of fly-kick the person you know, he's got that Rudiger aggression where maybe he overcommits a tiny bit on 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 that sort of thing. But that's the only knock that they've had on him in his, you know, since he's been there, which when you're 18, that's not a huge amount of wrinkles that you're talking about ironing out in terms of, of his development. So I think Colwell's probably top. Um, I like Gallagher a lot because he just reminds me of sort of that Premier League era where number eights were like a Gerrard, a Lampard, a Scalzi kind of player, box to box, you know, scores a goal, gets an assist, puts a foot in, you know, presses, he works hard, etc. Has I think he's got a lot more quality than what people give him credit to. I, I don't think you're going to confuse him with any sort of silky Brazilian number 10s, but enough, you know, enough good footwork and enough passing ability and vision and stuff to impact the game in the final third. I think he's, he's going to be an interesting player to see come back next season. Um... Who else is there that is interesting? Henry Lawrence is interesting that you mentioned him. Um, he, for anyone who's unaware, he's kind of a cheat code on football manager. He sort of has like a 15 and above position in pretty much most of outfield playable positions. Like he's he's quite insane. Um, well, but yeah, we know, in terms who, we know of, who to credit with that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But yeah well, no, I just, um, I'd mention him just because, again, like you mentioned on Colwell, it's something that's not often done. He's gone to AFC Wimbledon and I haven't kept up for the last month or so, but he was he was very much a regular player, not always starting, but a regular player at 18 years old. Yes, it's League One. Men's football at that age is tough. Um, and he was contributing. He was getting the odd assist. He wasn't looking exposed defensively from what I've heard. So I just thought he was he was worth the mention. And I think maybe, because I, I think the others are probably, I'm thinking in terms of like... Uh, Brozier, I think Brozier will have a good career. I don't know if it necessarily will be at Chelsea or a, a team of Chelsea's ability. And 
you know, to the point we mentioned earlier, look at look at where he's scoring his goals, look at how yeah. he's scoring his goals. And yeah, I think he's got he's got lots of nice things that I like. He reminds me of of sort of a kind of Diego Costa-ish kind of player, but there's a I think a huge well, there should be a huge jump, I think, between the scoring the kinds of goals he is at Southampton, lots of counters, lots of one-on-one situations with centre backs versus again what what you're expecting him to sign a kind of set chef. So I think Brozier will have a good career. I don't know if that translates to the kind of player that I was sort of outlining earlier for Chelsea. Um, others are much of a muchness, but I, I think maybe, and this might be semi-controversial in terms of the one that I'm not that overly enamoured with, and that is Billy Gilmore. Um, That's a change for you as well. And, yeah, and, and Andrew as well. Him, yeah. like, I'd say if we went back two years, Andrew and, and Gilmore would probably be your, two of your three, I'd imagine. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So why um, is that? So I think Gilmore... It's a tricky one because I think that that profile, that style of midfielder, um, I, I don't know how much longevity that has in terms of, of Premier League. You know, obviously, maybe the loan to Norwich hasn't necessarily helped this opinion. Um, you know, you're fighting kind of for, for survival there and you're not necessarily want to, want to get a, a passing, dictating kind of presence at the bottom of your midfield. Maybe you want two people who are going to get stuck in or whatever. Um I felt when he was playing on the Lampard that that maybe there was something there. It's you know maybe he could dovetail with Jorginho and kind of give you that sort of alternative option. Let Jorginho actually get you know get some rest for a change instead of having to play through five thousand injuries. Um, that was kind of the, what I was seeing. But I think the fact Tuchel didn't necessarily fancy him, um, and given you know we've got so few bodies in midfield, that was a little bit of a red flag to me that he didn't necessarily think that he had the quality. And it's mostly off the ball defensive stuff. I think that it gives me, and again, this is maybe because I do watch midfielders with a bit more of a microscopic lens, but some of the off-the-ball defensive stuff, and I think you mentioned it in, in, even in the games that he won man of the match under Lampard on, he was getting you know players run off the back of him and wasn't necessarily in the right position in transition and things that things that I would point out if it was Cover or Jorginho. So only it's fair that I then point it out if it's if it's another player. So Gilmore, I'm a little bit uncertain where he necessarily fits, and when we've seen him play a little bit further up the pitch. I don't think he's quite the same player. So unless you can figure a way of, of maybe it's something that Tuchel can do is you know reducing that that space that he has to work in, reducing that defensive workload, playing in with a Shuemeni or somebody like that in the future might be something there. But I'm just a little bit uh, a little bit less uh, high on him than I was previously. And, and to your point about Andrewin, um, not necessarily a reflection of the injury, but again, I think he's a very talented player, a very unique, you know, combination of size and technical quality. And, you know, he's a good finisher. He's got lots of things that you like, but it's, it's he feels a little bit like one of those kind of positionless footballers at the moment. Don't think he has, it's a bit like Ruben. He, he probably doesn't have the, the discipline or the defensive nous to, to be part of your, your double pivot, to be part of your midfield pairing, uh, unless you're going super, super hyper aggressive. And whether he has the, the dexterity, the agility, the the, the skill set to being is you know one of those kind of number tens. If we were to switch to a four through three or play with like a very aggressive uh, box to box player or a very attacking minded central midfield player, then I think maybe you know kind of like what Ruben did under under Sari, there is a role there for somebody with with Andrew's skill set. Um, but in terms of in terms of the modern game, modern midfield play, the fact that that defensively, I don't think he's really ever had to to do much of that in terms of his Chelsea career. Certainly, playing as a number ten or being a, a you know one of these kind of like overgrown number tens or overgrown inside forwards, um, like a Ruben was, was sort of playing there. I, I question whether that's really going to be a long term position for him. Whether he, he has the dexterity, the agility, the 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 sort of the, the quick feet, etc., to play in that role full time. So I think for me to be 
more, let's say more, more, I don't know, more, more committed to him as a player, not just at Chelsea, but long term. I think he's got the body, he's got the skill set, he's got the the tools to be a central midfielder. But those those reps, mental reps, playing actual minutes, you know, having to properly defend in in those midfield areas, um, that's what he lacks. I mean, again, such a massive part of the game, particularly runners off the back of you in midfield now. Um, I'm, I'm just a little bit concerned where he kind of goes or where his position is going to be in the future. Fair play, cool. Um, this one kind of comes off of a, a listener who's always good and always engages in that's Deeks. And he uh, tweeted a while, he tweeted a while ago um, and added me that, that since we last won the league, um, the percentages of domestic money spent, so, so Premier League or Championship proven players, Liverpool 40%, Man City 34 and Chelsea 14 So the question is, with that in mind, and you know what? We'll we'll kind of lump this into two questions: a one A, one B. Is should we be signing more domestic players because then there's less of the risk of transfer, although there is an inflated value attached, arguably. And how how are we gonna sort of change with with Brexit? Because I know already uh, I'm lumped in lumped in a third question here. Right, one A, B, C. We've like signed Burstow, the young lad from Charlton, and we signed Wareham from non-league and. Um, we're taking people on trial and stuff and, and the boy from Derby for the under 23s at left back I guess it's three in one but it's should we be looking more domestically do we now have to look more domestically and how could we maybe steal a march on someone like City um, because that's not something that they are necessarily doing uniquely well I mean Stones, Walker yeah. were obvious buyers so so I guess how can we steal a march on rivals with that but also should we do it in the first place is that where should we should be looking yeah I like this question a lot actually um yeah I mean the, the, the premium and this I think you know again we're using Declan Rice as an example but that 80 100 million pound valuation it's probably based on the fact that you know at the worst very worst case scenario for him you're probably going to get a very very top tier centre back who can play you know 10-15 years in the Premier League you know he's got the physical talents there's very little in terms of risk of, of adaptation and, and transferring those skills over. And that applies to a lot of, of players. You know, obviously, you go through the, the Liverpool team, they're probably the best example. You know, Van Dijk, uh, Robertson, Sadio Mane, you know, uh, Gomez was from Cholton, Henderson was from Sunderland. Salah obviously was kind of started with us, but sort of technically not, not the same thing there. Uh, lots of players that they've bought in their sort of successful period have come from, um, you know, kind of domestic situations. And I think, again, if you can, again, project that these players are going to sort of fit your system, fit your style of play, uh, I, I think that that risk premium that you're paying is, is in some cases worth it. Um, you know, we look at maybe our, our version of that, which is Danny Drinkwater, Ross Barkley. Okay, N'Golo Kante probably negates quite a lot of the, the, the negativity from some of those players. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a, maybe a little bit more hit and miss, I think, sometimes with us. In terms of the Brexit stuff, now... I think this probably impacts the academy recruitment more so than than anything else. So when you're looking at guys maybe historically like a Nathan Ake or a Christensen or even you know guys who are currently playing, Edwin Anderson, the Swedish chap, and, and Jimmy uh, Turinian, the, the guy from Finland, for example, um, that sort of recruitment is going to be a lot more difficult now. I think for the profile of player that we want, looking at the, I think they're called the GBE rules, which is sort of the, the point system that somebody has to, uh, kind of, I think it's 15 points and above they have to get, which is based on uh, their kind of senior and youth international appearances, the club that you're buying from, sort of the notoriety of the league, um, but also just their, their general appearances as well. So if you're looking at players that Chelsea are going to buy, um, the process of getting a, a work permit for a player, process for them coming to the UK, it's probably not going to be one that impacts us greatly. It probably hurts teams lower down in the league. So you know, if you're looking at a... 
Leicester buying N'Golo Kante, for example, that probably would not have happened under mm. these current rules. So to give okay. you a flavour of what probably works, many Monaco, France International, etc. versus Kante coming from League Two or what if he was playing in France at the time, Kane, I think he came from. Um, those That's probably a good sort of benchmark of, of how it probably will and won't impact us. If we're trying to do something clever, if, we've, if we found, you know, uh, one of these, uh, I don't know, Senegal Academy that Sadio Mane or, or, or you know, Rudiger's Sierra Leone Foundation, whatever in the future produces or has, has produced the next Ronaldo or Messi, getting somebody like that in is going to be a lot more problematic, you know, not just Africa, but in, in Europe as well. It could be from any any country, obviously, now in terms of the, the Brexit rules. Um, that's going to be a lot more tricky to, to bring in a talented player who hasn't necessarily met the threshold or doesn't necessarily tick all the boxes. I'm sure that we will have, you know, legal teams in those sorts of cases, but... I think given the the profile of player that we're probably looking for, um, I can't imagine it being too much of a, of a tricky scenario to secure work permits. It may be, as I say, maybe does impact the, the lower teams because, as you say, a lot of these players that came in, uh, you know, to like Southampton and teams like that who have then gone on to Liverpool, who have gone on to Manchester United, whoever it may be, uh, whether they would have been granted work permits or whether they would have passed the, the sort of GPE criteria to start with, um, it's probably more debatable now and therefore obviously you know the future of them potentially moving on to a, a top you know, a Champions League team or a top six team is less likely so it will it will have a knock-on effect on let's say the quality of players in the Premier League because some of these you know some of these teams like a Brighton or a Brentford who are very smart when it comes to recruitment Leicester are the same can find these sort of gem players who maybe have, have been overlooked for whatever reason but have a you know they have a great capacity to find them uh, whether they will have that ability to, to sign them and, and keep um, you know, keeping themselves competitive by being very, very good at recruitment. That that will be interesting to see because I think the more that I'm sort of talking through it, it, it has the potential to create a situation where unless you can afford to go and buy a top player who is an international in a recognised league, um, the case to to go and get a Kante in League Two or even something like a Wesley Fofana, who I think only was a was a French under 19 international at the time, Saint-Étienne aren't an exactly a, a PSG or a Monaco or somebody that... Uh, have a bit more notoriety. So that those sort of transfers will be a little bit more tricky. Um, even somebody like a Van Dijk coming in from, you know, Holland to, to, to Celtic, I think, or, or whatever the, the move was for him to go to Celtic, something like that will also be quite tricky to, to, to sort of see materialise as well. So it could, you know, could have a, a knock-on effect for top teams, but maybe not in the way that some people are thinking. Fair play. All right. It's three left, and then the first two are going to be quick fire. So they need to be a one-answer sort, of, one, one yeah. sort of question. So um, the first one is... Three clubs in the world, non-Champions League if possible, whose recruitment model you see as outstanding? Uh, Brighton, Leicester and mm, Brentford. I've just got, I've gone for three Premier League teams. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. I thought you'd throw in a uh, French I, one I, there. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't think he was, I couldn't think he was, uh, who's in the Champions League or not, but Ren and Nice and... Uh, I mean, Leon are always in the Champions League, but Leon's youth, yeah, youth yeah. recruitment is exceptional, and also their recruitment in general is also fantastic. Uh, for a loan move, um, average player, midfield defender, forward, whatever. Top half of the Championship or bottom half of the Premiership, if they're going to play all the games. Uh, top half of the Championship, I think 
yeah, just a very, very small qualification here. If a player is going to play for Chelsea or has that potential, then you want them to be in a team that's probably going to be fairly ball-dominant, playing aggressive, playing to win games, etc. So I'd rather see them in a team that's going to win a lot, play a lot, and, and maybe get better experience in a that kind of environment versus like a Gilmore at Norwich versus, let's say, I don't know, somebody, uh, Gallagher, when he moved to Swansea or whatever, when they were competing in the, in the playoffs. I think that is more beneficial than, you know, being in a, a team. Maybe you're playing regularly for Norwich, but... I don't know what you're learning by by. No, I think I think box. it's just the repetitions of what you do as well. Like I think it's just on the Gilmore one. You mentioned it as yeah, a red really flag. Um, I I actually saw it as quite a positive in that Daniel Farker was Tuchel's reserve manager at Dortmund. So I thought, oh, brilliant! He sent him to someone he trusts. He knows he knows how he plays. Da, 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 da. And then obviously they were playing a bit too nice, and he got dropped. And then when they tried to get a bit, um, well, win <laughs> basically, but. Um, but yeah, and I, it was my fear with Broja as well. But obviously, he's he's carved out enough of a niche for himself. So I think people, yeah, I think people um, under underrate that. Like when we sent Tammy to Swansea, and and he got dropped for the second half of the season and stuff. It's, it can be really tough. And then lastly, and yes, we have come full circle because it is the recruitment question that we have to confront every week and month. You asked me this last month. What do you do about Lukaku? this is tough um i mean the reality is there's there's so much money tied up in him in terms of the transfer fee in terms of wages in terms of i mean the whole picture there is an absolute ton of money invested in him so if you feel that the team is not going to be built around him and i i strongly suspect at this point that you know building a team around somebody who's going to be 30 uh, soon and has another four years left on their contract and has such a very uniquely demanding way of playing around him that I can't see that happening. Um, I would look to maybe just take a, take a, a cut on him. And it, it might be that you have to loan him out for three, four years or whatever it might be. Um, but having him not be there, I think would allow others, maybe Kai Havertz or somebody to sort of reclaim a bit more of a focal point or become more of a focal point um, or maybe allow Chelsea to go in a slightly different direction. But as I say, unless he is going to become the absolute focal point of the team for the next three, four five seasons, to my point about trying to be a bit more long-term, um, if that's not going to happen, then I think you have to try and, um, you know, offload him really however you can. And if that is a, an extended period of loans like we did with Quadrado, then so be it. Um, but I think you have to make an early decision here. But you don't have the, you know, the luxury of him being 23. Um, you know, he is prime years of his career towards the end of his career when his his contract is 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 going to run out at Chelsea. So I think you have to make a, an early decision there. Mine would be to try and get him on loan. I don't think anyone's going to buy him unless PSG come in with a really, really over-the-top uh, bid for him but I, I just can't see that happening yeah I, I said I sort of said to someone who asked this yesterday on Twitter that I would just hope that maybe not all the installments were paid but they said that they don't think that Chelsea do do that and they think they might have paid a lot up front but I'm thinking if if it was a 20 over five or whatever you might say or, or half up front or whatever and then if he really wants to go back to Inter and it'll be happier there and suits the league and everything like that then maybe you can take a small loss. But I agree. I think decisiveness is really important. I think you either have to cut the losses now um, or just load up on people around him really aggressively just to yeah. just to minimise his role outside of the, it's one or the, the, other, isn't it? the widths of the post. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, really, there's, really there's good. No shade of here at all. Yeah, it has to be decisive. Like he's 28, turning 29. Yeah, it has, has to work or has to be moved on i agree but no really good um yeah i think that that roadmap is is food for thought for a lot of people and 
I think, like I said on the last pod, I, I would like to think no signings in January. As frustrating as it is to see people like Bruno G over at Newcastle, I, w- I just hope that it's with a view to something more long-term rather than just sitting on your hands and not wanting to commit big money to average players, which will then become the issues in three, four, five years. But maybe that's optimistic. But uh, we'll, we'll see, no doubt. I think this summer will say a lot. Um, but nice one. Right, great chat. Uh, and everyone, thanks very much. Make sure everyone's following London Blue Pod on all social media channels. And uh, I'm sure you are. If you've got to this point, for sure. I'm sure I'm sure you are. But make sure you engage me and Joe. Always love the, the chats after this and people's views, whether they're the same or, or different. So um, thanks for being with us this long, if you have. And, and see you next time.